get situated here. If you have your Bibles and you would like, turn, uh, turn them over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, and we'll be there in just a moment. Last Sunday was my birthday, and as I was going to bed, I heard that there's a possibility of snow flurries. Yes, I'm still nervous, okay? I'm still nervous about this winter that's approaching us. But So I get up Monday morning, and I'm, I'm driving to the office. It's, it's still dark here, and I hear on the radio station, last night in Kansas City, Missouri, two-tenths of an inch fell in Kansas City. It's the earliest snow, earliest recorded snowfall in Kansas City since the year 1898. And you keep telling me it's going to be a mild winter. I know, you keep telling me. Keep telling me. <clears throat> yeah. So be joining me in prayer about this winter. Let me, let me quickly, uh-oh, I don't, have a, I don't have a clicker. Go ahead and go to the next slide then. Um, just as fast as we can. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, which we, I believe is Jesus teaching about how to live in the kingdom of God. And I just wanted to put up again the, uh, the, the definition that I, that I put together on it. The kingdom of God is the already but not yet kingdom come from heaven to earth where God is the ruler and is designed to turn the world right side up again. Humans may or not choose to participate in the kingdom that has the potential to radically change the world, the kingdom of God is heaven come to earth. It is learn. This is what I believe about the kingdom of God. It's learning how to live together now, like we're going to up there. Difference is up there, no sin, suffering, evil. But we still have to learn how to function together and to love each other right now. And I do believe it has the potential to radically change the world that we live in. That's why Jesus spent so much time um, talking about it. Now, so this is what, uh, this is where we are so far. The Beatitudes, all are welcome. We spent a week on that. Right after that, salt and light, not only are you welcome, but you're valuable, you're talented. But we are. Remember, again, we have to stress this community. We are valuable, talented. We are salt and light uh, to the world that we live in. And having said that, then last week we said, okay, now Jesus gets serious. It is time to go to work. And the first thing that we went to work on was our emotions. Jesus talked about anger. And I want to say to you, that was a difficult topic, but I want to say thank you to you for what you've been working on in the, in the conversations that we've had. And you've come up to me and said, that, that was me and I've got to work on it. I, I, I do too. I, I do too. We have to work on our emotions, not just the anger, but again, all of the tangent emotions that come off of that with bitterness and frustration and loneliness and all that comes with it, we go to work on ourselves so that it doesn't destroy us. And today we talk about uh, being human, uh, not objects. Um, so kind of, uh, again, in, in, um, in review, kingdom of God is depicted in the Sermon on Mount. Man, oh man, are we going fast. Let's stand and sing. That's it. That's it. <laughs>
what you would have seen is, um, did I do that? The battery did that? I don't know where I was now. So, <laughs> I've never experienced that. I've been through a lot in, life, in preaching, but I've never experienced that one. That was quick. Somebody's up there trying to tell me something, aren't they? If I don't deal with my situation in life, with, with, with the Beatitudes, right? If, if I don't say, you know, that is me, poor in spirit, or, you know, I, I live in a time when, when for me it's a time of mourning, or whatever it is, I began in this life to feel hopeless. I, I feel hopeless. If I don't believe, now let me say it again, if we don't believe that we are salt and light in this world, not only do we feel hopeless, we begin to feel helpless. I, I can't do anything. We can't do anything in this world around us. But if I don't work on my emotions and my anger and dealing with myself, we're going to feel hurt. And one of the sayings that is used is, Hurt people, what? Hurt people. Hurt people tend to hurt people. Um, it, that's up there. If you if you want to, if you can make it go. And this is where I think now Jesus meets us. This is where Jesus has come to at this point. And today's topic is not is not rosy either. But here's what I think. Jesus is ultimately going to challenge us with, and that is not to live in a fantasy world. Not to live in some fantasy world that we live in. Remember this, that when Jesus teaches, or when we read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, or let's say we take the Apostle Paul and we read his words, those words are not written in a vacuum. Those words, it's not like, let's say Paul, for instance, gets up and goes, you know, I'm kind of behind on my um, inspirational writing today. I, I, I really, I think I need to keep, I, I, I just need to think of something to say. I wonder if there are some universal truths that I need to put, put down on paper and run. See, Jesus wasn't doing that either. When Jesus was teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's looking out over the crowd of people who are, um, down, they're depressed, they're frustrated, they're longing for righteousness, they're longing for justice. They've been persecuted by the culture that they live in. And so he's speaking these, these words to them. And just like when we come to the text today, there is a specific situation that was going on in his time that he was trying to wrestle away the, the devastating um, effects of it. So it means this, when we read Scripture, we're reading Scripture that was, that was written a long time ago, that, that was in a different culture, a different historical period. And it is our challenge to learn how to pull the principles out of the text that also apply to us. And sometimes it means doing some work to get there. But here's what I think the message is today. Don't live in a fantasy world. 
say, what are you talking about? Well, we all have a tendency to live in a world that's not reality. Even little things. Abel was after me last week about coming and getting a haircut. So I drove over there and I sat in a chair and he cut my, cut, cut my hair. You know, he's got that beautiful spiked hair, got that red streak down it. And I'm thinking, you know, he cuts my hair, I'm going to be something else. So I went over there and I sat in the chair and he cut it. I was like, man, that looks good. I just knew when I came home, my wife would be like, woo-hoo-hoo, look at you. I love that hair. She didn't say a word. I thought for sure Vicky might say something when I walked back to it. I was like, man, you look really good. You know, not a, nobody said anything. I just knew, you know, maybe the television stations would come out. You're the new preacher. You're the new good looking preacher. You know, let's let me interview you. Where'd you get that haircut? Right. And we just live, and that's a, that's a small example, but we all have the tendency to live in a fantasy world of not reality. And that's what Jesus is going to get on to us about. Ultimately this, I'll, I'll jump to the end. We're going to deal with it, but I'll jump to the end. Ultimately this, our challenge is not to throw away what we already have in order to find something that we believe would be greater. Our call is to learn to love in the midst of the world that we live in. And to stop looking for the next thing or person that's going to bring me joy or meaning or satisfaction or who's going to make me a Hollywood movie star if I could just be seen with them. I'll just transform into something so much greater than I already am. You're living in a fantasy. So, here's what Jesus says. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body um, to go into hell. Now listen, I'm a man and this one, this particular verse haunted me for a long time. Especially as I was younger. How am I supposed to follow this verse? Because here's what I understood it to mean. Don't you be looking at a good looking woman. And if you happen to ever look at a good looking woman and one split second a thought comes across your mind, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Now, if that were the case, there is not an adolescent male who has a chance of making it to heaven. Can I get an amen? Or we're going to be walking around blind and no hands. It's the only chance that we have of making it. I said, what does this verse mean? What is, what is he trying to say here? Now, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what Jesus is doing is he's taking a lot of the teachings. By the way, this comes out of um, the, um, the Ten Commandments. Right? Don't commit adultery. Adultery is um, sexual activity between two people that aren't married. Literally what it means. 
But he says, now look, we're going to ratchet it up a little bit. And so I began to dig into these words, okay? Now bear with me and, and, and see if you can follow this. There is, our Bibles are this, the Hebrew Bible that's written in Hebrew. And then we have the, the New Testament, which is written in Greek. You've got Hebrew and Greek. Well, about, oh, it was about 200 BCE, that they translated the Hebrew Scriptures into the Greek language. So that now we have Hebrew of the Old Testament, we've got Greek of the Old Testament, and we've got Greek of the New Testament. Well, when these particular authors translated this verse of lusty, they used the same word as the word covet. And what they believed long before our English translations ever got here is that what Jesus was saying is that I'm going to tell you that if you, with the intention of, that's the word in there, with the intention of coveting another woman, then you cut your hand off and, and, you, and you pluck your eye out. Now, there's a difference between this, our idea of lusting, right? See something, oh, bad thought, I'm in trouble, and coveting. Um, also, in the, uh, in the Ten Commandments, the commandment is do not covet. And the concept is this. Don't, and you can look this up, Exodus chapter 20. Don't covet, and he starts with this. Don't covet your neighbor's house or his bicycle or your neighbor's wife or his ox, right? And this idea of covet means this. Covet has within it, built within the word, the idea of I'm thinking about it and I'm devising a plan. I'm devising a plan. Shake your head if this is making any sense to you. It's not just I see, but I see and I go, whoa, let me see here. How can I somehow get that for myself when it doesn't belong to me? And I think that's more consistent with what the teaching is in this context. So what Jesus is saying, look, I know what the old law said. The old law said, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, because this was a problem for several in this culture, in this community, what's going to get you in trouble is that when you see another woman and you begin devising the plan. And so this idea of looking Looking unto is, is, is the, the, the meaning is, I'm thinking of a plan so that when I look at her, I'm like, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes it a little bit further. It takes it a little bit further. But here's the problem. In the culture that they lived in, they would go around and they would just steal from each other. Right? Go back and read some of the stories. Half of Deuteronomy and Leviticus is about quit stealing from each other. Quit taking stuff. Right? So you, li you list all these consequences and laws that help them to understand this is what's going to happen to you if you don't stop it. Jesus said it's not just about committing adultery. Right? Isn't it interesting that here's what Jesus says. Cut 
pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. See, because here's, here's what we say. It goes from thoughts to heart to hands. Right? What begins as a thought then moves down to the heart. You begin to get attached to that idea and ultimately it becomes something that, that, that happens that you and I do. Jesus said, we can stop that real quick. Pluck out the eye, cut off the hand. Now, he's going to the extreme, but the principle involved with this is you have to take action. And in this case, you need to take immediate, drastic action because you are living in a fantasy world and you're not only going to destroy yourself, but now's the potential of destroying somebody else. And we do not live like this in the kingdom. So the point is this. We, in the kingdom of God, listen to me carefully, we do not view human beings as objects. We do not view others as objects. Now, it it doesn't just have to be in the realm of sexuality, right? An employer could look at employees and say, you know what, this this, this one's going to be good for my bottom line. And I'm going to work them and I'm going to ride them hard and they're going to be making me money, right? Instead of, instead of looking at that person as a human, it's an object. But not just human beings either, but there, there are things that we just, man, we just got to have. I just got to have that. Don't have the money for it. Our spouse has said, please don't do that. And we just got to have it. Why? Because living in the fantasy world, I say to myself, man, if I get that, man, if I get that haircut, man, if I get those shoes, if I get that truck... No, no, let's not say truck. That's wrong. That's not. <laughs> you notice I'll never talk about golf equipment because that doesn't qualify either. Right? If I just get, you see, living in a fantasy world, got to learn how to love what we have. Okay? Now, here's the other one. Did I ever get that back or no? Okay, um, keep uh, click it a few more times. Now, if you thought that one was challenging, I want you to listen to this. After after he talks about lusting or coveting, you can keep moving it a little bit more than that. Um. Verse 31, talked about lusting or coveting, and then he says this. He doesn't go back and use the whole phrase, you have heard that it was said, as though he's introducing a new topic. It's kind of a semi-introduction to the next topic. It says, you've heard, or it was said. Okay. Now, I want you to look at your English version of verse 31, 32... Okay, and I want you to just I want you to just look at it. if it's on your phone, look at it. Look at the words. And I went through about twenty about twenty five translations, English translations. Only the American Standard Version really translate, I think, what Jesus was saying here. Okay, so now listen. I want you to look at your text and I want you to listen to this. It was also said. 
Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say to you that everyone who puts away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, makes her an adulteress. And whoever shall marry her when she is put away commits adultery. That's literally how the, uh, the Greek reads. Most of our English translators, if not all of them, except for a few, say divorce, divorce, divorce. There are literally two different words that are used in this text. One is for putting away, and the other is writing a bill of divorce. Two words. Okay? And I said, you know, I've never really heard... And by the way, I'm I'm going to preach this according to what Jesus says in this context. We can have discussions on marriage and that later. But I think Jesus is making a point here, and I want to show you what what I really believe um, that is. So here's what was happening. If you want the backstory, Deuteronomy chapter 24. It'll, it'll explain how they came to this idea. Okay? Um, and so here's what we find in Jesus' day, especially for the Jews. Say, so, you know, I really don't like my wife. She, uh, she burned the roast. She's a little bit cranky when, she, when I come home. She's starting to nag me a little bit about, you know, keeping the toilet seat down. I think that I am going to, watch this word, put her away. And the concept is this. Honey, bye-bye. Take your stuff and leave. Say, how could somebody be so cruel to another human being? Well, if... He writes her a certificate of divorce and signs his name to it. He has to pay back the dowry, right? The dowry being um, the, the the bride price that he had to pay to to get this this um, this bride, and she brought so she brings with her this dowry of jewels, and and it would it would become expensive. But if he just puts her away, says bye bye, I'm not signing anything, I'm not writing anything, he doesn't have to pay that back. So what happens to this woman, you see? In the culture that they lived in, she couldn't just go down to Walmart and get a job and be a greeter and go, hey, welcome to Walmart, here's a cookie, hope you have a great day. She had nowhere to go. She had nowhere to live. The fact that she did not have that certificate, she was an embarrassment to her family now. And there was this process, there was, it continued to develop where, the, where the, the, the husbands were saying, I'm done with you. Leave. Now she's not divorced. Now think about the logic. She's put away, but she goes and remarries another man without having a certificate of divorce. If you go remarry another man without a certificate of divorce, you commit adultery. Why? You're not divorced. You've just been put away. So you see how that begins to make sense. So you have on the one hand, on, on the one hand, there, there were certain people in the culture looking around saying, you know, hmm, I think uh, I'll covet after that one and I want that one. On, and on the other side of the coin, we're kicking people out. I don't want you. You don't make me happy. You don't satisfy me. Go on. 
And there was a real issue going on in the world they lived in. And Jesus comes along and says, no more. In the kingdom of God, we do not treat human beings as objects. So let me just tell you right now, there's things that we have to work on. There's these thought processes that we have to go through in order that we don't fall prey to this. And here's what I think can be said. Church, learn to love what you have. And quit trying to discard what you already have with the idea that if the next one is going to make me somebody, it's going to make me somebody that I'm not, or it's going to make me happy, or it's going to make me more spiritually mature. We don't treat people that way. We don't look at each other as objects to fulfill whatever need it might be, whether it be financially, sexually, economically, socially. Every person is created in the image of God. So years ago, I, I heard this word, and now it's on television and it's on, on songs. I've heard, the word is namaste. Have you heard this word? And, and here, it's an Indian word. So I went and researched it, and I looked it up, and um, here's what the word means. It's an Indian, the the, the country of India, they're they're, they're greedy. And it literally means this, I salute the divine that lives in you. And I thought, man, if we could ever get that idea, I salute the divine. I salute the, the God that lives in you, right, because of Jesus. Instead of, hey, how are you? Fine, how are you? Fine. I just say, namaste. They, they do it. They do it like this. You bend over just a little bit. I salute you. Because just as I believe that Jesus Christ lives in me, I believe Jesus lives in you. So I taught that to the when I was teaching school uh, back in Louisiana to, to middle school boys. It was so neat because then every morning I walk into class, several of them would go, Namaste, coach. And it got me. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're created in the image of God. We're not objects. There is not another person that will give you the desire of your heart, the direction in your life, other than Jesus Christ. Your spouse can't do it. That person you've had your eye on is going to destroy you. It's not going to bring life to you. And we have to work on this. Let me turn over to Romans chapter 13. Let me show you this. And I'll stop this morning. Romans chapter 13. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Paul says. Let, verse 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And here are the commandments. Do not commit adultery and do not murder and do not steal and do not covet. Right? All the things we've been talking about. 
And whatever other commandment there may be, they're summed up, he says, in this one rule. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The answer to it is to continue to work on loving. Loving God, loving others, loving myself, practicing that. And I want to tell you, it takes being intentional. I brought two things up here. Three, but... These are two that I uh, work on all the time. Because I want to tell you something. I have to continually work on my emotions. I have to continually work on my vision and where my eyes go and what my thoughts are. And I'm, 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 I'm just like all of us. We're always in this process. Right? Because we're in the kingdom of God. We learn how to love and encourage and bless and honor and say namaste to people. And I have this notebook that's filled with things that I go through and I read and I say out loud. We, church, have to be intentional about spiritual growth. The other is a journal. You get in there and you write. Where are you in life? Be honest. Just you and God and you're writing these things. And from time to time you go back and you look and you say, How am I doing? How have I developed? How am I growing? Because spiritual maturity, and and listen, living in the kingdom of God is not an accident. It has to be worked on. It must be intentional. That if we are going to continue to grow as the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, we say, you know what? I'm getting intentional about this. I'm going to deal with my emotions. I'm going to deal with living in this fantasy world. And I'm going to bring honor and glory to God through my life. Because listen, we have the potential to change another person's life with just a few words. If we're aware, if we're aware, if we have, if that is our mission in life to bless others, we can change their lives. I leave you with this. Marianne Bird, an author, has written a couple of books. She tells her story in here that as a child, she was born with a cleft palate, okay? And so she could not speak correctly, and, and, and it looked different. Um, she crooked nose, lopsided teeth. And all of her classmates would make fun of her. And she said, I learned this, that when the children would ask me, what happened to you? She said, I learned to, to tell them, I, I, I slipped and fell, and, and it did this damage. You know, I fell on a rock, and it did this damage. Because she said, it dawned on me that I could get a little more grace if it was an accident than being born this way. If they found out I was born like this, it was really cruel. And she goes on to say that I always wonder, God, why? So she's in second grade, and this was a long time ago, when, uh, when we used to take those hearing tests. And the hearing test was... Basically, you put one ear on the wall and the teacher over here would whisper. Anybody remember those? Whisper to see if you could hear what she's saying. And she would say things like, um, you know, oh, it's Wednesday. Say, oh, I heard that. You said it's Wednesday. Or it's cold outside. Well, Marianne comes up there and she puts her ear to the wall and she's looking at her teacher and she's waiting for her teacher to say something. And she couldn't believe what she thought she heard. 
For her teacher looked at her and said, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. It was the first time I'd ever heard somebody that would speak to me not as an object, but spoke to me as a human being that I was loved. She said, I came to the conclusion that if somebody could love me, I could make a difference. She went on to write books. You never know. You never know the difference that you could make in a person's eternity if you will look at them and speak to them as a as someone created in the image of God and not an object. And with the Lord's help, we will continue to do that. Let's stand and sing the invitation song. If we can pray for you this morning, or if you need assistance, please come to the front right now.